to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Good morning. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Oh, I just saw a bean burrito on the way out here, and I... <laughs> Somebody made burritos, and man, they're hot. I just gulped my last bite down three seconds before I came out here, okay? Kind of warning you. They were hot. Whoa. And then you're looking, do I have anything stuck in my teeth? You know, it's a horrible thing to do, but I was hungry and I saw them and I fell to temptation. So what can I say? Uh, are you ready for today? I'm ready. Are you ready? How many of you have your Bibles? I'm just curious. Out there at home, if you can grab your Bible and mark it up, grab it and mark it up. We're going somewhere. And so, if that burrito doesn't get to me, we're going somewhere. <laughs> I don't know what it had in it, but it was hot. Father God, I'm hot. I know you're always hot and we're ready to go, God. So, Father God, anoint me and I ask that in humility today. Because if you don't anoint me, this word's going to do nothing. Anoint me, help me, flow through me. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say amen. amen. Today, we're going to continue with the book of Peter. I'm just going to get right out of the gate today. And before I take you to Peter, we're going to look at a passage in John chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read it. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a ruler of the Jews. This guy has it made in the shade in that culture, in that society. He was rich. He was influential. He had a title. He uh, was respected. He was very religious. He was on his way to heaven. This guy had to make his parents proud because he made it. But he was empty. We're going to see in a moment. He's empty. He saw something in Jesus that he wanted. And it reminds me of that passage I covered with you several weeks ago about the lawyer in Luke chapter 10. Remember the lawyer came to Jesus and he said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as rabbis normally did in those days, they would answer a question with a question. He says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? He says, what's written in your law? And he repeats an Old Testament passage that I'm sure he had memorized the whole chapter because these guys were very versed. And he repeated something that was said in Deuteronomy 6, and he says, it says in the Bible to love your God. And that's agapeo love. Get that in mind. That's a deep love. At least in the Greek, it's, it's synonymous with agapeo it says to love your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your might. And I don't know if Jesus winked or not, but he said, you're right on. Do that and you'll live. Yeah, give it a try. See what happens, which is totally impossible. We can't even love God, not with agape love, in our own strength. 
It takes a work of God for that to happen. It's impossible. Keep that in mind. Peter proved that to us, didn't he? I mean, in Matthew 26 and John 13, we're told the story of how Peter one day called Jesus aside, and I'll put it into my paraphrased version. He said, Jesus, come here. I heard you say you're going to go away. He said, I want to tell you something. Those guys over there might be a little mousy, but not Peter. I want to tell you, you got a guy here. Lord, I'm ready to die with you. I'll even die with you. He said, I'm, I'm dedicated. I, I'm a notch above everybody. I am your man, God, Jesus. And if you go die, I'll die with you. Jesus looked at him and said, man, you're going to deny me three times when the cock crows. And sure enough, in the story, Peter bragged how much he agapeo Jesus. I love you like no one's ever loved you before. But when the chips were down... He cowered it out, and he fell. And then in John chapter 1, 21, after Jesus resurrected, he thought, Peter, we need to talk this through because I can see it's still bothering you. And he brought Peter aside, and he said, Peter, and now he changed the, the Greek words for love. He said, I want to ask you a question. Do you really love me, Agapeo, more than those guys? He says, Lord, <laughs> you know I phileo you. Now, agape is the deepest kind of love there is. It's, it's unconditional. It's deep love. Phileo is brotherly love. So Jesus says, do, do you really agapeo me more than those guys? Well, I phileo you. So let me ask you a second time. Do you really agapeo me? Do you really love me with all of your heart? And I said, Lord, I, I phileo you. And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, look me in the eyes, man. Do you, do you even phileo me? said he was grieved. Peter was grieved. He said, you know all things. You know I'm fond of you. It came out. Peter says, I don't have the depth of love that I bragged I had. I thought I had it. I was hoping I had it. But I failed. I guess I don't have it. Now, I want to tell you something, gang. We need a Savior because we're pathetic. That's why when we come here today and praise God, we ought to, people ought to hogtie us down to keep us from lifting our hands up, saying, man, you're my Savior. There's nothing good in me, but you've done it all for me. None of us are better than the others. But this lawyer saw something in Jesus that he wanted, and so did Nicodemus. Both of them did. They saw something in Jesus that they wanted, and so, Peter had already said that he didn't love the Lord like he should, because it's impossible to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind at all times. Uh, see, last week, I told you about the little girl that was visiting her first grade classmate's family and spending the night. And the mother, they had broccoli that night, was their vegetable for dinner. Remember, she asked the little girl, do you like broccoli? She said, oh, I love broccoli. I love it. I love it. Okay. When they passed her the broccoli, she didn't take it. She said, I thought you said you loved it. Well, I love it, but not enough to eat it. <laughs> well, see, I love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, and mind, I, at least at the best of my capability. I do love him, and I love him so much until Debbie pushes my buttons. <laughs> and then I love him, but... I guess not enough to really let her do that. 
I love a little girl, all my heart, soul, and mind, but I'm driving that freeway and a truck driver cuts me off and runs me over. I love the Lord, but I don't know at that moment. I don't know. Anybody with me or is anybody better than me? You know, you're a level better. Uh, See, when I see someone in need, I know I'm supposed to pull over, but I'm in a rush. I love the Lord, but today, not that much. I'm in a rush. Now, back to the lawyer in Luke 10. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And, and he wasn't talking about heaven, believe me. I told you that before. The Jewish people didn't think that much about the afterlife. He was talking about the life here and now. And we know that because he's referencing Deuteronomy 6, where the context in that chapter that he had memorized talked about life on this earth. It says when you inherit the promised land, if you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then when you go in the promised land, man, I'm going to bless your socks off of you. In fact, in that same chapter where he took that phrase out of, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might, in that same chapter, God goes on to tell him, so when you go to the promised land, you're going to live in cities that you did not build. You're going to live in houses full of good things that you didn't fill. You're going to have cisterns that you did not dig. You're going to have vineyards and orchards you did not plant. And it says, you will eat and you will be satisfied. Say with me, satisfied. You will be satisfied. Now, today we still have a spiritual promised land that we're invited to move into. You take in the Old Testament that physical promised land and you just spiritualize it. We have a spiritual one. And because we don't have to keep the law and we have a Savior, we equally are taught in the New Testament that if we're abiding in the Lord, we should be satisfied. This gives satisfaction a working definition. To be completely filled. To have an abundance and enough. To be satiated. Let's take it in the New Testament in Matthew 5, 6. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do I have any satisfied Christians in the house today? You're a testimony of God's word. Does that mean we're rich? No. Does that mean we're driving a Rolls Royce? No. No Rolex watch? I don't even have a watch. I don't even have my ring on today. I'm sorry, but it got stuck in my finger the other day, and I took it off and haven't put it back on. It doesn't bother my wife, so it shouldn't bother you. Uh, and so, I'm telling you, I mean, do, do you get it? I, I have a new appreciation for the Word of God. Jesus says, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they might have life, and life more what? Abundantly. Sometimes I feel like apologizing, and, and listen to me, I've got my problems, man. I got my health issues, I deal everything, but I'm still satisfied. I'm like a cow chewing its cud. That's the word picture. Your wife's leaving you? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Praise Jesus. You're going to lose your job? Yeah, might. <laughs> you see the picture? You're satisfied. Look at the, you're going to the person next to you and say, I'm satisfied. The Bible, he actually says, Jesus said, if you drink of the water that I give, you will never thirst again. How many people are not thirsty? You're not thirsty for anything the world has. You're not. 
You, you drank from the well. By listening to worship, some of you were pretty drunk from drinking the well out here. You sound pretty. Nicodemus was just like the lawyer. Came to Jesus to find out about this eternal life stuff. Now, eternal life, remember, in, in, in the Greek language in the New Testament, eternal life is not about duration as much as it's about quality. See, you have eternal life once you get saved. The Bible says, believe in me and you'll have eternal life. When do you get it? The minute you start believing. We've got the life now. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. We have the life now. It's just going to happen to go on forever and ever and ever. Wow. We're living in the kingdom of God right now. So, that's the context in which Nicodemus came. Let's look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night. Why did he come by night? I imagine. Well, it could have been one or two things. Either he doesn't want the other Pharisees to see, or maybe he's just really busy, and Jesus was busy. But he comes by night and said to him, Rabbi, which is very respectful, because most all the other Pharisees would never call him Rabbi. wouldn't give him that kind of respect. Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, now notice here, this will give you another hint that I'm right on today. Out of the abundance of the heart, mouth, the mouth speaks. As soon as he sees Jesus, what does he say? <laughs> it's all about the signs, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing what's going on. Uh, I've been watching you, man. I'm, I'm blown away. I mean, you're blowing all of us away. I mean, you don't do that without God. I know you don't. Now, I'm really, this is what brought me here. I, I know you truly walk with God. Now, remember, this guy knows Scripture very well. Undoubtedly, he had chapters and chapters memorized. This guy prayed every day, several times a day. This guy never missed a religious service every week. This guy was surrounded by religious people, but he was empty. Hello, who am I talking to online out there? He was empty. He was missing something. That, that describes people watching today. You say, man, I've tried this thing, but I don't have what you have, Ron. Are you serious that you're satisfied? I am so satisfied. i got the joy of the Lord in my heart. I mean, yes. And a lot of these people out here raise their hands today. Yes. What he basically says, Nick... Religion is worthless if you're not born again. See, a lot of you come from Catholic background, and Catholicism can't save you, and don't get mad at me. My Italian family, they are pillars in the Catholic church. So I'm coming from the inside out. But religion can't save you, only being born again. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. It's going to get better as it goes on if you hang with me. That clock's my enemy today. Now, let's look at verse 4 through 8. We're going somewhere. Tell a neighbor again, we're going somewhere. Okay. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time up into his mother's womb and be born? Can he? Kind of confused, didn't he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water. Now, I, I believe that metaphor there describes the water sack and natural childbirth. In other words, Jesus is going to say here, you've got to be born twice before you can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now he describes it right here. Look, he tells you what he said. Doesn't this make sense? People say, well, that water's baptism, it's all these things. No, it's right here. For that which is born of flesh is flesh. That's the water. 
And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed, Nick, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it, it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now here, it, it, it's going to compare the born again in our study in Peter. In fact, let's go to Peter right now. Look at verse 123. Let's don't get ahead of ourselves. This is where we left off at eons ago, right? Weeks ago. I'm back on track now again. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but of seed that is imperishable. That is through the living, the living, say with me living, word of God. Okay? Now here, it's going to speak of the born-again experience is receiving a seed, an imperishable seed, a seed that's alive. It's the Word of God. Remember the parable of the sower, how they planted seed in the different types of soil, which represented salvation? Now, you won't be able to see this, but I hold in my hand right here, it's a pumpkin seed, a pumpkin seed. Now, listen to me closely. What if I told you this pumpkin seed, this little seed, is encapsulated with the DNA of Jesus. This little pumpkin seed right here has encoded in it the DNA of Jesus Christ. Would you take it? Would you swallow it? Would you eat it? How many would? Knowing that this seed is imperishable. This seed is alive. And if you take it, you are taking a seed that's encoded with the DNA of Jesus, and it's going to be alive in you forever, and it's going to start developing the person of Jesus Christ. That's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. Now, we have, Peter's going to make it very, very good for us. He says, you have this imperishable seed inside of you, and it's never going to die. Now, Again, the seed is compared to what does he say here? The living, abiding Word of God. It's inside of you. This is going to get good. <sighs> I've had more time. Now, this seed, once you receive it, it's going to produce life within you. It'll grow. And you'll begin to hear God's voice. You'll begin to feel His touch. As you grow spiritually, these things will begin to automatically happen to you. Now, I used to be, decades ago, very curious about certain very dogmatic verses in the Bible. Very dogmatic. For example, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6 through 9 in the Phillips version. Have you forgotten that the kingdom of God will never belong to the wicked? Don't be under any illusion, neither the impure, the idolater, the adulterer, the effeminate, the pervert or the thief, the swindler, the drunkard, the wait, wait, drunk, whoa, let's cross that one out. The drunkard, the foul mouth, or the repage, none of them will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is interesting. And such men, remember, were some of you. But you've cleansed yourself from all that stuff. You've been made whole in the spirit. You've been justified for God in the name of the Lord Jesus and his very spirit. Now, oh, i got to keep going on. I want to stop and make comments on all of this. 
Look at 1 John 2, 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments. Now, the word keep there, I went over that with you before. In its fullness, that Greek word doesn't mean keep perfectly. It means have in high regard. He who does not have in high regard the commandments of God is a liar, and the truth isn't even in him. That's pretty dogmatic. Look at 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in him practices sinning, and he who and, and no one who sins him and keeps practicing sin, they, they don't even, they don't know him. They've never seen him. They're liars. They're liars. And then you get verses like Proverbs 22, 6. If you raise a child up in the way they ought to go, they will never depart from that way. Well, you look at these, you say, man, that's pretty dogmatic that if you're this type of one of these eight types of people, if you're that type, you will never, ever inherit the kingdom. Pretty dogmatic. Say, if you practice sin, you're a liar, never get in heaven. They're pretty dogmatic. But then I realize, if you're truly saved and that seed's inside of you, you can't stay that way. Impossible. As you grow, you will have to leave that lifestyle. That's why he can be so dogmatic. That's the power of the seed. You don't have a choice. Some of you have been saved for three years. You're still trying to hang on to sin, and you're losing. You're still trying to hang on. Mm, something has to give. Jesus and sin can't live in the same house. Remember the story of Dagon and the Ark of the Covenant? Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, put it in their, their idolatrous god Dagon's in the temple, and they had a statue of Dagon next to the Ark of the Covenant. Dagon kept falling over until he destroyed himself. Jesus and sin can't live in the same house. Look at Isaiah 55, 11. It says, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without creating and making and accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Now, let's, let's go on a little bit here. The seed doesn't only just represent salvation, but the seed also represents the ramas that we give from God. Those are seeds. The anointed prayers we pray with other people, those are seeds. Spiritual thoughts that we share with others, those are seeds. Now, not only are we to receive the seed of salvation, but we're to take our little bag of seeds and go out and spread the seeds every day of our life. What are the seeds? The ramus I've heard from God, the prayers I want to pray over people, the, the inspired uh, thoughts I have. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted seeds. Apollos watered those seeds, but God was causing the growth. Look at 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply your seed. He'll multiply your seed for sowing. What, what is your seed supplied for and multiplied for? To go out and sow with it. And it'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. Look at Luke eight eleven. Now the parable is this. The seed is what? What is the seed? The ramas, the prayers. It's the Word of God. Now look at John four thirty seven. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. Now, 
I've said it before, and I know you get tired of hearing it. But some of you aren't spreading seeds. You're giving God nothing to work with. Because seeds are the living and the abiding word of Christ. And when you're operating under his anointing, whoa, whoa, whoa. For example, to a wayward child, plant a seed. Say, you know what? I did my best to train you in the ways of God. And the word of God says you will not depart and stay departed from that way. I'm praying for you and you're coming home, sweetheart, whether you like it or not. Now you just planted a seed. Didn't you just plant a seed? You gave God something to work with. Your spouse is out there straying. You, you quote a verse and you say, you know what? I know you want to leave me for somebody else, but I'm going to tell you now. And you give them a verse. I'm cursing that relationship because it's not a God and it's going to die. I'm telling you, it's going to die and I love you, sweetheart. You just planted a seed in her mind. When you see that guy, you start fighting and stuff, remember what I'm praying. Just remember it. And say, friend, the same thing. Plant seeds. Nikki Cruz, remember that story of him and Dave Wilkerson? Nikki Cruz is one of the meanest gangsters that ever walked the streets of New York. And Dave Wilkerson went up to him one time and said, Nikki, God, lo- Jesus loves you. And Nikki said in his testimony later, he said, every night I went to bed, I'd put a pillow over my head. All I could hear was, Nikki, Jesus loves you. Nikki, Jesus loves you. Nikki, he couldn't get it out of his mind. Now, today I'm going to do something, and I don't like to pull this off so quick on you. I'm your shepherd, and I have a heart for you guys. I love you to death, and that's God's love in me. Don't congratulate me. But tonight at 3 o'clock, say 3, some of you, if you want to, take advantage of it. Bring your kids back, and we're going to bless them in a blessing service at 3 o'clock. We did this before up at the ranch, and it was the most touching thing. Say, what do you mean? See, I hesitate to doing this because I, I don't want things to become a ritual. I just saw on the news feed this week that a Catholic priest in Arizona, he's been a priest for 16 years, He said all the baptisms he's done for the last 16 years are invalid because he said, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit instead of I baptize you. It should have been I. Ah, pray for him. So they often go back and be re-baptized. I don't want to become a ritual, but I'm going to bring, listen to me. I shared with the men Tuesday night that my father abused me And he probably only said it four or five times in my life. But he said, you're worthless and you'll never amount to anything, Ronnie. And that so imprinted me. I could never shake it. I told you, my wife, just about 15 years ago, I was going around the house and I said, you idiot, you idiot. What did you do? You idiot. And she said, Ron, that's what your dad said to you. And and I won't go into what I said to the men. My dad really blessed me in that because he caused me to really want to be success at something. But, and my dad did turn to Christ, and he's forgiven. But what I want to say to you, if what he said to me four or five times imprinted me so deeply at 12 years old that at 55 I still remember it, think what we can do if we bless our kids. Think what we can do. If we bless them, what are you going to do tonight? And you can do it on your own if you don't come. But if you want to round your kids, come back at three. I'm going to do it. I'm going to show you. I'm going to lead you through it. Remember, I like abbreviations. CAD. I used to have a Cadillac. CAD. C-A-D. First, I'm going to have you tonight look at your kids and confess the ways you failed as a parent to them and let them pray for you. 
And then I'm going to have you affirm them. Tell them two or three things you're proud of, and then I'm going to have you lay your hands on them and bless them. And I'm telling you, it's not just a ritual. We have to do this constantly after tonight. Uh, and I believe with all of my heart that these seeds will stick. If my dad only said that to me four or five times and it stuck that deeply, think what it's going to do to our kids when by the power of the Spirit, we start blessing them. Change their lives. Totally change. That's 3 o'clock today here. If you're on the internet, I just gave you CAD, C-A-D. You can do it yourself. You don't have to have me lead you through it necessarily. Now, hmm, how do I shorten this? Tuesday night, I shared with the men two things that I thought was very valuable. One was the story of Asher and how Asher was the eighth son of the patriarch Jacob. And Asher lived in a very dysfunctional family. His dad had 12 kids by four different wives. His brothers were really messed up. They thought about killing their little brother, but after they thought it through, they thought they'd just sell him to some people and get rid of him. He lived in a very, very dysfunctional family. Hello, stay with me. Some of you have been raised in a dysfunctional family, bless your hearts. But I want to give you hope. We, we don't know what happened with Asher, but when we get to Chronicles, we'll see that this man who was raised in a dysfunctional family somehow got it together at some point in life and turned around and left a legacy for his four sons and his daughter. That should give you hope. Now, I'm sure he implanted the Word of God in them, just like the seeds. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. Uh, look at First Chronicles, and let's read uh, 740. All these were the sons of Asher, heads of the father's houses. So first of all, he taught these boys to be leaders of their houses. Choice, and I'm going to look at that word in a second, choice and mighty men of valor. They were head of, heads of the princes, and princes are kings in the making. His kids, man, they had a future. And the number of them enrolled by genealogy for service in war was 26,000 men. One man turned his life around and 26,000 men was affected. Wow. Now, I like this choice men. If you look at that word in the Hebrew, the definition is tested, proven, and purged. In other words, he taught these young men. I'm sure he planted seeds in their heart and verses in their mind. And I'm sure by example, he led them. And he said, you know what? You boys don't give up. You don't, you're you're going to be proven and tested. You're going to be tested. When that marriage is bad, don't you give up. You hang in there. Because one of these words I explained to me the other night in the Hebrew, it's a picture of soldiers in a, in a, under attack in a, in a foxhole, and they're digging their heels in, and they say, we're not giving one inch of ground, not one inch of ground. That's what it means. Your career might be failing, but you know what? You don't back up. You don't give ground. You keep on praying. You keep on confessing. And he taught these, he left them a legacy. You know, the Bible says, and my fear for this generation is that back in biblical days, there was a generation that grew up that didn't know God. We've got to pass this baton down. Some of you men I'm speaking to you right now, you've been called to get your act together because of those kids. And I told the men the other night too, you've been called to be the leaders of your household. Your wife's not supposed to be leading. You're the leader. You lead the way to church. Ties, we got our, 
Our, our, our mission box is up here today. You men, before you leave, come up, put a $5 uh, bill in there. If you don't do that, just throw your credit card in there. We'll use it and send it back to you. Uh, look at Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. Talk about them when you sit in your house. When you take a walk, talk about them. Before you lie down at night, do devotions and talk about them. When you get up in the morning before you send them off to school, you talk about them. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Wow. Now, our children are like little fresh lumps of clay. Did you get it? They're sitting there just waiting to be molded and shaped and sharpened like arrows and sent out into the world. Wow. But we must get, 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 we must get right first, okay? Now, that leads me to 1 Peter 1, 24, 25. I'm almost through. I'm, I'm four-fifths there. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers. Say with me, withers. And the flowers, flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Anybody out there withering today? Anybody withering? <laughs> I told you years ago, this old man goes to a party one night, and he sits there and he crosses his legs, and he's drinking his coffee, and some young millennial comes up and goes, whoa, those are like the coolest alligator socks I've ever seen. And he said, son, I ain't wearing no socks. <laughs> he was withering. He was withering. I'm starting to wither. Some of you young people haven't started withering yet. You're so beautiful. Sometimes I like to sit and stare at you. You're, you're beautiful. But you're going to start withering. <laughs> Peter says, I think what he says here also could, could, could uh, it could also be talking about fads, worldly philosophies, trends, they'll all pass away. I mean, all those New York bestsellers on how to live life will be on the 99-cent rack probably. Give them a few years. Diets alone. This diet thing's crazy. It works today. Tomorrow somebody found something different, and they'll tell you why that diet doesn't work. 1930s, it was the grapefruit diet. Then came the cabbage soup diet. Then it was the tapeworm diet. Do you remember that one? You took a pill to keep, kill the tapeworm in you. In the 70s, the sleeping beauty diet, you slept, you didn't eat, that made sense. Cookie diet in 75 that had amino acids in it, and people love that one. Then it came aerobics, jazzercise, microbiotic, the fasting diet today, eat dirt, that biblical one, I don't know what that's about. It's right today, but something's going something's gonna to replace it. That's just the way the world is. Philosophy, this works. Tomorrow, they'll tell you why that doesn't work any longer. It's, it's all replacing one another, but the Word of God abides forever. Now, I'm just going to cover this last passage with you, and we're, we're going to do something and go home. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, now why is it there, therefore, therefore? You've got to ask the question. Therefore, because you have the abiding Word of God in you and the seed in you that wants to move and create things, 
Therefore, because of that, put aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. It says, lay aside the sin. Start digging into the word of God and, and grow in your walk and digest the truths. Let me share one more thing with you. I share with the men, and then we're going to go home. So many marriage problems could be solved today if we knew the Word of God. For example, some of you men listening to me today, you think sin will satisfy. The Bible says it won't. You think it will, so you get into pornography, you get into affairs, and you're deceived. You're just going to keep looking for more. It's not going to satisfy. Uh, I told the men about the seasons of marriage Tuesday night. You have the honeymoon phase where... You just sit for an hour and look in one another's eyes, and you go home and you have intimacy five, six nights a week, and after that phase comes the raising kids phase, and that's a whole different thing. Then the teen years phase, and then the empty nest syndrome phase, and then middle years phase, then the the golden years, I mean the rusty years phase. Uh, And sometimes people get stuck in a phase, and when they do, they have marriage problems. They get stuck in a I still want that romanticism. You know, I know I'm 60, but I miss it. Hey, you know what? If you're a lady, his get up and go has already got up and gone. <laughs> that didn't sound good. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. I won't do that next service. This is the first service for me. I didn't do the early service, so this is it. But if you get stuck in a phase, it's going to cause damage in your marriage. If you've been married for 40 years or more, congratulations. You know why? You've endured the phases. You've got past them. Now, almost out of time, and I heard this, I forgot who was preaching this two or three years ago, and they highlighted this, and I thought it was so good. Lately, I've been made aware of a lot of marriage problems in the church, We have a couple's retreat scheduled for Lake Las Vegas next year, but I don't think we're going to make it to next year, so I told my staff in May, I'm I'm doing a one-evening thing. We're going to get some people together, and we're going to do a tune-up on our marriages in May. So that'll be an evening thing. We'll have chocolate cake. Everything will be really cool. Uh, I think almost all marriage problems in the church among Christian people are the result of one of two things, if not both. A falling away from the Lord is the number one thing, or a lack of Bible knowledge about the purpose of marriage. Let me share you real quickly. Adam was made in the image of God. Do you agree? Everybody agree? Eve was created later. Now God, when he created man, he took the dirt, molded it, shaped it, breathed into it. He, he didn't create Eve that way. He could have. Because see, Eve was in Adam. He had an Eve. God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. As he sleep, slept, he goes, I want to take out a little bit of a tenderness and gentleness and sweetness and, and this little traits of feminine. I'm going to pull him out of Adam and put him in the woman. And he did. And then when the man woke up, he saw the woman. He goes, I'm missing something, man, and I think you're it. Now, I want you to know the first Adam, Adam, before Eve was created, he had too many working parts in him. He had masculinity and femininity. I don't know, just maybe one day he's out chasing tigers and he's killing them and he's skinning them and gutting them and the next day he's in the corner 
curled up going, I don't know why I killed that tiger. <laughs> he was so sweet, his little paws, little furry paws. And God says, that's not good. That's when he looked down at Genesis and said, not good, not good, not good. We got to do something different here. The Aramic word, Aramic word for father is abwum, adwun. Now, when they say our father who's under heaven, they go our adwun, abwum. It's made up of two words, Abba, Father, Masculine, Wound, Womb, Feminine. Now, Adam was made with all these working parts. He was in the image of God, and I want you to know, God supersedes gender. Now, if this is true, when man gets married to a woman, it says the two become one flesh. They're restored to the original Adam. As they work together, husband and wife, born-again Christians, they exemplify the Father in His fullness. When they work together in ministry, I tell the young pastors around here all the time, if your wife's not called to the ministry like you, you will fail because you're one. You better make sure that wife feels called just like you feel called. I mean, I love it. My wife and I work together. It just seems like the fullness of God is in the room. We express the fullness of God. See, this says all kinds of things. Stop trying to change one another. God made you opposites for a reason. Oh, you see it operating like Josiah when he's three years old. I'll never forget. He went out at the ranch, and he was climbing a fence, and he got stuck. Papa, get me down. Papa, I said, no, son. It's time for you to learn. You can get down. Papa, get me down. I said, no, you can learn. And as I'm doing that, Debbie comes out and says, oh, sweetheart, Papa's being rough, I know, but I got your oatmeal waffle in the house and takes him off. That's God the Father, the sweetness, the chastising. Do you see it? In him, that's all one. When we operate together, I have so much more to say. I always have and I always will. But we're out of time. <laughs> to be continued. Now, I'm going to do something at the end. I'm going to pray and I'm going to do something. Listen to me. I told our worship team the other day, I think to become the worship team that I envision for VBF, we're going to have to be a little more versatile. And so after I pray, I'm bringing Allie out. She's going to teach you a song that's declarative. It's a declaration. It's a fun song. It's not serious. It's a fun declaration song. But let me pray out first. Father God, I can't wait for you to bring people to the third service so I can minister to them today. Bring them, bring them. Father, I pray everyone here receives something today. If anyone listening to me has never been born again, it's real simple. All you have to do is get alone somewhere today, if you're alone right now, and pray. Say, Father God, I want to start serving you. Send the Holy Spirit right now, the seed from heaven, and come and live in my body and begin to produce. I'm giving you the permission as if you needed some, but you, you gave me this body. So I'm inviting you to come and live inside of me right now. I receive you by faith. And let the journey begin in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. 
We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our king.